0: all right we have a great episode of side retired the mlb podcast coming at you guys today it'll be dylan campione without matt potter here as he is under the weather today but we have a great seven co-host for the day is megan will be joining us from the chicago tribune so let's hit the intro music and we'll be getting right into this Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It's Dylan Campion, and as I just mentioned, I know you love listening to myself and Matt Potter speak, but we are joined by a very special guest on today's episode. That is the Chicago Cubs beat reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Megan Montemiro. Thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. So the first question we'd like to throw at you is obviously you're a beat reporter for the Chicago Cubs, which is one of the most prestigious organizations in professional sports. I think everyone around the country knows who the Cubs are. So sort of that first question of what is it like to be around the ballpark all the day working at Wrigley Field and obviously being with the Chicago Cubs?
1: You can see something that's never happened or the team is doing well or not. There's always interest, which you know as a beat writer, that's that's really all you can ask for um, that through you know thick and thin times for however a team is doing on the field. Um, that fans are still engaged and care what you write about
0: and obviously the 2023 season was pretty interesting for those Chicago Cubs I think interesting expectations going into the year obviously proceeding and doing a lot better than people thought they would and then unfortunately just missing the playoffs what was that run like obviously encapsulated with the Dansby Swanson acquisition the Cody Ballinger acquisition and the team doing really good this year
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in, like, early, mid-June, you're thinking, like, oh, man, this is going to be a really long season because, you know, at that point, they're 10 games under. Things are looking really bleak. You know, they didn't play well in Anaheim. You know, they have to finish up a a three-city West Coast trip in San Francisco. So, like, you know, at that point, you're thinking, like, you know, this could end their season before it really begins. Um, So it was really impressive just watching the way – the group was able to stick together and really take as much of a cliche it was um, a day by day approach and not look too far ahead at like, you know, the mountain they had to climb to really just to even get back to 500, let alone in the playoff hunt. So, you know, really a a credit to, you know, David Ross for being able to keep that clubhouse together. And then also, you know, the guys in there and the veterans for, you know not not letting the season get away from them because it very well could have turned into you know a, a 90 lost team with the way things were going um you know in in May and early June in particular um and then at the end i mean you know it just seemed like when they weren't really able to add any relief pitching at the trade deadline outside of getting Jose Quas you know who really just didn't have a ton of experience at the big league level that you know it kind of just felt like they very well could run out of fumes at the end. And that's kind of what happened. You know, guys started getting hurt, you know, loo- losing Adbert Elslide, you know, to his injury for a good chunk of September was a killer. And, you know, once that group started getting banged up, it was just, it was really hard to overcome with, with how much effort and energy, you know, the team collectively had put in from, you know, that mid June to, to mid September. And they just kind of seemed to run out of steam there at the end.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the interesting things of the job of a beat reporter is that there are some years that it's probably not a fun experience and losing 100 games and it's like, please let the season just end as soon as it can. And then obviously there's some seasons where there's World Series aspirations and it's a blast from day one to day 162. And it seems like you had a sort of mixture both in the April and May were pretty mm-hmm. not great. And then obviously the middle of summer was, oh, wow, this team's actually pretty good. So what is the experience of a beat reporter like, especially in that sort of a time span where there's a really competitive team that you're covering versus a team that, all right, this is we need to figure out how to write some stories about this team?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a balancing act. I mean, especially when you're covering a rebuilding team or a team that's not doing well. Um, it kind of depends. Like if you're covering a rebuilding team where the expectation was like, you know, hey, we really because of, you're like you, you know you expect that going in you know you're looking for more feature stories or writing about you know what are they what are they trying to do organizationally to get back to being a winning organization and team. Um, and then when you have like those seasons where they're expected to be competitive and you know it falls flat, that they don't finish even 500, then you're more diagnosing you know, okay like what 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 went wrong. You know, what do they do to try and change that? Who might be held accountable for those shortcomings? So, um, you know, it, it, there's definitely a lot of different dynamics in, in how the season plays out. And then, obviously, when you're covering a winning team, you know, the, the games certainly matter more, especially the later you get in the year. Um, and there's still those opportunities to write, you know, featury stories and, and analysis. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of like – it's kind of like three different prongs of – how you cover a team based on you know one expectations and then what they're actually doing on the field
0: absolutely so i guess this might be a tough question but do you have a favorite aspect of being a beat reporter is it writing the stories is it acting the players or is it the whole experience in general
1: um you know i would say it's kind of collective experience i mean i really do like it do like writing feature type stories and um you know, the analysis, in-depth analysis that comes from not only, like, statistics-based, but talking to players or coaches about the whys behind what numbers might be showing. Um, yeah, and, like, all of that, like, a lot of those things come from being on the beat every day and talking to guys every day. And um, it, it, it's hard, you know, having done it before where you're covering multiple teams or maybe you're only covering home games, it can be less um, totality of it that I enjoy and especially you're seeing these same people pretty much every day from February 14th until the season ends either you know in you know at the end of October you know or whenever their postseason run happens. So it's a lot of time that you're spending around these people which can be good and bad um, but I think it, it it creates opportunities to come up with and and report interesting stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I assume one of those people that you got to know pretty well this season was the manager. David Ross was with the Cubs for the past couple of seasons as well so as a player, but pretty interesting off season to say the least so far with the Cubs. I think a lot of people were expecting that David Ross would be back in that managerial spot next season. And then we got the bombshell, I guess we could call it. The Craig Council was jumping ship from Milwaukee and heading to Chicago. So what was it like working with David Ross? And then I guess sort of to transition after that of what? happened over the last couple of weeks that now all of a sudden he's gone
1: you know my three years of covering him um you know it was always pleasant to deal with um you know I'm sure both sides got sick of having to talk to each other twice a day for six you know months but um yeah you know I, I think he did um a good job I think we, you know touched it on it of being able to manage the clubhouse and manage personalities. And like, that can be a very tricky thing. And I know there were, you know, at times valid critiques of in game management and decisions um, which is an area that, you know, it seemed like he was still improving on and and growing in Um, it's hard to teach the behind the scenes things. And um, you know, I would not be surprised to see him get another, managing opportunity in the future with a different organization um, because of those qualities. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it it was, it was a ruthless decision that Jed Hoyer made, but ultimately, as he said, like it's his, it's his responsibility to make those tough decisions. If he thinks that they're going to make the organization better and, you know, he's, he's shown he, he will not shy away from making those choices. I mean, we, we saw it, um you know at the 21 trade deadline where you know he moved the core from the the 2016 world series which you know obviously isn't easy on a personal level for for a guy like that when you know you're moving the guys that helped you win a world series but like you know he has the long-term lens um as part of his focus you know it's not all just about short-term getting better it's how are we positioning ourselves long-term as well and so yeah, I mean, I think two things would be true. It was a whole line move to, to ask the man that you usually pick and care for for this kind of job. You got to be right when you make them, um, and, and you know, obviously, Craig Council seems like a good guy to gamble on. One
0: hundred percent. We recently had a Mets beat reporter on the show, and when we were talking about so what happened on that actual day, where it seemed like it was go back to Milwaukee or go to the Mets, and he said completely blindsided when he got the information of wait, the Cubs are in on this move too. So did that sort of come out of less? Especially you probably have more boots on the ground on, than the Cubs. So did you know that this was even possible or was it sort of that same? I think it was a Monday midday that all of a sudden it was like, shoot.
1: I mean, it's, I mean the beat collectively had been asking a lot of questions both to Jed and, um, you know, Chairman Tom Ricketts was in Milwaukee for the final day of the season, and a bunch of us talked to him there too, asking about how you assess David Ross's performance, and that you know, that's that's where he dropped his you know he's our guy line. um So yeah, I mean, like I think there were signs of it. Wouldn't be necessarily surprised if they did move on. You know, I think there could have been things that you could nitpick if, if you were the the Cubs where you're like, okay, we need to get better in this area. However, the manner that they did it where, you know, they didn't make a move, you know, they, they backed him, you know, Jed Hoyer in his end of season press conference, you know, did acknowledge that, yeah, like there's room for improvement, you know, as the case is for everybody every year. Um, but I think it was the way it went down, you know, at, you know, you're a week into November, it's, your division rival yes you know council was a free agent but still you know like and really I, can't, I would be surprised if anyone said that they could have seen that coming
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and then another one of the fun things that you've probably been up to over the last couple of weeks was that the national league mvp was revealed last week i know you had an, a ballot slash a vote on that so I guess for our fans who might not know how the m v p voting process works, when does that vote take place? How do you find out that hey, I've got to vote for the m v p this year and what's sort of the process behind you know how you came to your ballot
1: within every b b w a a chapter um around June into july so so you have about two two and a half months um knowing what you're going to be voting for so you can maybe start paying attention you know like for me i try not to pay attention too early because i don't want you know that to sway me when there's four to six weeks still left in the season um so i'd say really like maybe like two two and a half weeks to go is when i really start looking through some names seeing like who would be on my radar. And so, and, and for an MVP value, you have to vote for 10 players. Um, where, whereas for Cy Young, you can, you vote for five and then rookie of the year, and of the year is three. So it's, you, you have to, um, put together a pretty extensive list. So you have until, um, the first playoff game in your respective league to s- submit your electronic ballot. Um, so you, so you have a little bit of time um, from when the season ends, maybe like 48 hours, I guess. Um, so, you, so usually what I do um, for whatever I'm voting on outside of manager, because it's not really a statistic, um, I put together probably a list of like 25 names of guys that I could consider vote necessarily for, you know, the top of my ballot, but for maybe for down votes. And then they're all, uh, I pull that it's you know uh runs graded plus or war or on base percentage. Um so I probably put together, including defensive stats, maybe like up to like fifth stats to go through. And then I just kind of look through. I mean, the top five for me were were pretty obvious. Um and then by the end of the year, I mean Mookie bets, you know, certainly deserved and warranted serious consideration for that for that top vote. Um, I think it was just really hard by the end of the year what acuna did. Um, and bets had cooled off a little bit in that final month. So yeah, I mean it's really it's it's tough because I know those down those downvote ballot um spots matter. So like, you know, I spend as much time, if not more, this this year because I felt like the top four to five spots were pretty clear cut for me. Um trying to figure out like of the other f- 15 or so guys who, who deserve the other five spots. So it's tough. Like you, like as you look through the ballots, like obviously everybody has very different opinions. It's it's hard to weigh defense and how much credit you give that. Like, it's like in my mind, it's not solely an offensive award. So how do you, how do you weigh pitching? Do you weigh um, a team's performance? And like, you know, so like for when I was figuring out where, to put Bellinger if he should be on my ballot it was tough of like okay he clearly was a very big reason you know they got out of where they were so how much do you weigh that versus him kind of cooling off over that that last month or last couple weeks of the season uh, versus a guy like William Contreras who you know his defensive metrics were really off the charts he led a great pitching staff and a team that won the division so like all that stuff can be really hard and it's it's obviously subjective but I just try and do put together a ballot that's as consistent as it can be from top to bottom
0: I love it and as a Mets fan I loved seeing Francisco Lindor get on your ballot there in the <laughs> seventh spot so that was definitely something fun to see because uh, he definitely had a great season in there as well but speaking of Ballinger it seems like him and then I guess Marcus Stroman are those two guys that were big impacts on the team this year and currently are free agents. So do you think there is a path that maybe Bellinger returns to the Cubs? I know the rumor floating out there right now is $200 million, which seems like a lot of money, but Stroman and Bellinger, two interesting guys from the 2023 Cubs potentially might not be on the 2024 team.
1: I think it it always has to be something that makes sense on both ends. Like if you're Bellinger, this is probably the last big contract you're getting. Um, So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's really valuing the number of years he could get in a deal Um, for the Cubs. I just don't think they have the appetite to really go beyond six, maybe seven years. I mean, they went seven for Dansby, um, but, but, you know, ownership, you know, has made clear about, like, how tough those contracts are at the end of them and that they typically don't turn. Um, So, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Bellinger's market comes together. I mean, the Yankees and Giants are two obvious teams that could use him. um, And if the Cubs don't re-sign him, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on, you know, they really needed to add with him if he was presumably coming back. So now you're looking at, you really need to impact bats in the middle of that lineup. So how are you going to do that? Um, do you try and find a mix of, you know, short-term options where either, you know, kind of the contract that that they gave Bellinger um, where it's essentially a one-year deal masquerading with a mutual option um, to help maybe somebody else rebuild their market or looking for, guys in that three- to four-year um, tier. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I I won't be surprised if they bring Bellinger back, but I don't think it can be assumed that that's the path that they'll be taking. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways they can add talent, especially when you have a farm system as deep as theirs.
0: Absolutely. And then I do have to mention, because it is the white whale of free agency, and that is Chicago Shohei Otani. <laughs> is that real? Is there an actual chance? Or... As that sort of all 30 teams think they have a chance at Shohei Otani right now.
1: I mean, I think it, the fact that they were one of a few teams to, you know, get to to be part of the sweepstakes the first time around um, is telling, especially since at that time the NL did not have the DH. 8 um, There would not have really been very realistic had he signed with Chicago then. Um, so yeah, I mean as you are with like the Cubs, like you have to to take your thing at, at these chances. Now, ultimately, you know, if he decides like geography is really important to him, well, obviously that's a hurdle. The Cubs might not be over be able to overcome. If he's looking, you know, for teams who, you know, I mean the Cubs would certainly be in that conversation and and, and they have a, a really strong farm system right now. Also, um, yeah, I mean I I I I think, you know, if you're the Cubs, you have to pursue it until a little bit Um, and so I think it'll be really to see what kind of deal. I know it's kind of what everyone in baseball is wondering, like what kind of copy ultimately ends up with. Um but yeah, I mean, I I would not discount the Cubs. Um until it's all said and done.
0: And I know you've also experienced so far that Chicago is one of the big, biggest cities in the nation. So getting one of the biggest stars in the game as well would definitely be a very interesting as well as pretty fun thing for you to cover next season.
1: Yeah. it would definitely be pretty. That's one thing too, if, if you're the Cubs that you have to your advantage of, you know, this is a huge market. You know, if you're a star here, you're, you're beloved, you know, you don't have to, um, you know worry necessarily about like what your future will will be like in terms of your popularity i mean people still talk about walter payton and you know and and the 85 team like if you win in chicago like yeah you're you're sad and you know i think and then even from like the cubs side like the marketing aspect of it is obviously going to be attractive for any team but especially when you when you're in a big market like chicago
0: Yeah. And I think guys like Rizzo and Contreras and Brian will never have to buy a beer again in Chicago. Imagine what's going to happen with Shohei if he does come to Chicago. But the last sort of topic I did have to discuss, Sasha, had on the checklist, if you're down to discuss it, is yesterday the Hall of Fame ballot did come out for the 2024 balloting process. I believe, if I have this right, that you do have a ballot for Mm -hmm. a Hall of Fame. So it's pretty much similar to the MVP. What is your sort of Go to game plan, how do you decide who goes on your ballot? And big haul, small hall steroids, and all those sort of different facets that go into that. Pretty yeah. different.
1: Yeah. So before I had a, a vote, I always thought that I would be of like the the small hall belief, but I think it's just so hard to really compare eras. Um, like the game today is so different than even 40 years ago that I think it's, it's tough if that is your measuring stick for like clearance into the hall of fame. Um, so I've been more of a big, big hall voter. Um, I think most, I think this is going to be my third year voting. I think I've either had used all my spots for almost all my spots the last two years, um and i would expect that to be similar um when i vote this year um so yeah i mean i, I try to take in, in in context of like the era they played in i mean like i think one of the toughest ones for me might be joe mauer i mean he was an elite catcher when you think of the top catchers of his era like he's right there with i guess you know like buster posey um and maybe Yachty or molina how you depending on how you define elite um And so, you know, was his peak enough, you know, to warrant a vote, you know, even with him having to move off the position because of the concussion issues, you know, Chase Utley is another one where like his peak and everything he did between offense, defense on the bases, like, you know, at his prime, he was one of the best players in the league. So figuring out like how to weigh those peaks versus maybe the injury years around them, um, I think will be tough, um, for this ballot. Cause there's a couple of guys like that. Like I just mentioned with Maurer and Utley. Um, so yeah. And I, and I, you know, the hall of fame is a museum too. And, you know, like if, if, if these are, if some of these guys are like the ones you think of when you think back to your, you know, for the people that are younger, you know, coming, becoming baseball fans and, those are the guys you think of as the ones that define your your love of baseball, and you know I, I think that's important to think about too. So so I've I've trended towards a bigger hall when it comes to the PED stuff. I don't know if I will change my opinion on on this on my current stance, but I've taken the approach of since MLB implemented their PED program and the suspensions that come with it. Um, for me, I've taken the stance of if you get suspended when this program has been in place, I will not vote for you. Um, maybe that will change, but I just, you know, I really had to think of it, you know, obviously with Alex Rodriguez, when he came on the ballot, um, it's tough. Like he put up obviously amazing numbers, but he also got suspended for, you know, PED related issues and so I don't know I I've heard both arguments where it's like well he was punished you know he got suspended so you know I, I see both sides of it for me I have not voted for guys that got suspended um I did vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens when he was on it when they both were on it uh, because again like the league turned a blind eye and let these guys revive the sport without in my opinion, and really, any any consequence, you know they they were the league was, rep, you know reaping the benefits from it too. So that's kind of where I've fallen on the PED stuff. I, people agree. I've some don't. I've heard it all on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm I'm open to changing my mind on that in the future. But for now, that's that's kind of where I've fallen on the PED stuff.
0: I like it. And this year's ballot's definitely a pretty interesting case. I think Adrian Beltre is the only for sure that I think no one will be surprised if he gets in. And then there's that interesting Helton Wagner, Andrew Jones that are right there. We'll see if they get the push. And then, as you mentioned, the new class of Joe Mauer, Chase Utley, and I guess David Wright as well, sort of the great peaks, but not the longevity. So we'll see what happens on that front. But really appreciate all the time you gave me today, talking a lot of Cubs baseball, getting an inside perspective into the MVP, the Hall of Fame voting, as well as what could happen in Chicago. I'm starting to really like that nickname. I don't know if that's going to stick or not, but we'll see what happens. But No, really thankful for you hopping on today.
1: Yeah, it was great chatting with you.
0: Absolutely. So the last question we always have our guests complete is sort of a fun thank you for hopping on the show is would you like to shout out anyone else from the baseball industry that you might know that might be a cool next person to have on? Ooh, hmm. That's a
1: tough one. I'm trying to think of of non-Cubs related ones since we just did Cubs. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I mean... I don't know how much of a podcast guy he is, but I covered the Phillies for seven years. And one of one of my favorite people to talk to, especially in spring training, was Larry Boa. Uh, just with his stories, I mean, obviously his, his great career as a player and then he managed in the big leagues. And yeah, he's just a great baseball mind. So um, I highly recommend if you ever have the chance to to chat with him, he's a, he's a great talker.
0: One hundred percent sounds like a great idea because I know he's got all the baseball stories from all his past. Yeah, so a blast if we could get that done. But I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast. First off, this has been such a fun time. Sorry that Matt had to miss this conversation, but I know I had a blast getting to hear all about your journey.
1: Yeah, no, it was a great chat.
0: Awesome, thanks so much. So for Dylan Campione and Megan Montemoro, until the next time, the side is retired.